Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. If you sometimes lack the energy and motivation to get into the gym, or are hitting the snooze button instead of that morning class, or are just not feeling like you're giving 100% during your workout, Just Ingredients Raspberry Pre-Workout is for you. Just Ingredients Raspberry Lemonade Pre-Workout is a 100% natural pre-workout drink that increases energy, improves mood, sharpens mental focus, increases strength and endurance, and reduces fatigue. Just Ingredients is committed to its ingredients and only uses the highest quality natural ingredients that come from the earth. Just Ingredients pre-workout is naturally sweetened and flavored with real foods and contains no artificial dyes, chemicals, or sugar alcohols. So if you want some help getting a boost for your workouts, you want to try Just Ingredients pre-workout today. For 20% off of Just Ingredients pre-workout, use the code JIPODCAST2 on our website at justingredients.us. Once again, that's code JIPODCAST2 at justingredients.us for 20% off your pre-workout. Dr. B is an award-winning gastronologist, internationally recognized gut health expert, and the New York Times best-selling author of Fiber Fueled and the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. He sits on the scientific advisory board of Zoe, has authored more than 20 articles published in peer-reviewed scientific journals, has given more than 40 presentations at national meetings, presented to Congress and the USDA, and has taught over 10,000 students how to heal and optimize their gut health. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife and three children. You'll find him on Instagram as the Gut Health MD, on Facebook as the Gut Health MD, and at his website, theplantfedgut.com. Welcome to the show, you guys. I am so honored to have Dr. B here again with us today. He was here, well, a few months ago and did an amazing episode about the gut. And so I'm really excited to have him back and tell you about his new book and things like that. So welcome to the show, Dr. B. Thank you, Caroline. It's a pleasure to be back. Excited to be here. Well, my listeners loved the last episode. You taught them so much in just an easy, great, understandable way. So Thank you for taking the time to be here again. To begin, will you just tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background? Because I think it's really fascinating that you are an MD that has some of these natural approaches. So tell them a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I guess the short story here is that I, my dream was to be a doctor. And that was something that started in my teenage years. And I spent 16 years between college, medical school, residency, and my fellowship uh, working like, I mean, truly six days a week, 15 to 18 hours a day, sometimes 30 hours at a time pursuing that goal. And I did, you know, I feel like I did pretty well with it. I, I have education from great institutions, Georgetown, Northwestern, the University of North Carolina. But really, perhaps the most important thing that ever happened to me was something completely unexpected. And in the moment, it was something that I was like, why am I being cursed? What, what did I do wrong? But I had a health crisis in my early 30s. This was about 10 years ago. And trying to figure out how to get myself out of this health crisis where I'm, I'm way overweight, you know, uh, super fatigued, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I have high blood pressure, I have extremely low self-esteem, and I knew I needed a way out. 
But I discovered that despite all of my great training, the pills and the procedures in my doctor's bag were not actually the solution. And I didn't know what the solution was because I now I was like, okay, I have to go outside the bounds of what I have been taught. And things just kind of fell into place. It's a little bit of a story. It, it does involve meeting my wife, the person who we now have three children together and happily married. But, you know, 10 years ago, this was a first date. And ultimately what I found is that food, food was this missing piece in my life. And it, need, it required a radical shift in order to get my health back. But when I did, my health came effortlessly. Like I didn't have to try anymore. And so when this happens to someone whose complete dream their entire life is to be a medical doctor, there just is no denying this. There is just no denying this. And how can I look a person in the eye who's my patient that I care about and not provide the same level of information to them that ultimately was life-changing for me? Right. So I became voracious in my appetite for nutritional research. And I would study at night and I would bring it into the clinic the next day. And my patients, we learned together. And over the course of years, this matured and I was witnessing radical transformations in my patients. They were not the same as what happened to me. They were their own version of the story. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it brought me to a place where I was like, I got to share this with the world. This is not good enough to be behind the closed door with a couple hundred people a year. So here we are. Well, so what intrigues me about this is you had to do this on your own after you were already an MD, right? You didn't learn this knowledge in medical school? You know, coming from the place of someone who my dream was to be one of these doctors, in my mind, coming up through this system, these people are basically like they walk on water. And it's one of these things that it's almost like, let me just share the way that I feel about this. It's almost like the way that I have felt about my parents as I matured into adulthood, which is that I discovered that my parents are not perfect and that's okay. Right. Right. I still love them. Allopathic medicine is clearly not perfect and there's a lot of gaps and holes. And so for me, it's that initial intent that existed from the very beginning, which was to become the best doctor that I could be. There are no boundaries on that. There are no limits. It's quite simply this intrinsic drive that I have to discover and to learn. And so that's what led me outside of the system. But I fully acknowledge that the system is a very broken system. We don't need to spend an hour on that. We could. It's a very broken system. And unfortunately, we need to move beyond the days of people walking into their medical doctor and just accepting at face value what they receive. And we need to move into a new, a new era of empowered patients who ask good questions and know how to build a team. Oh, I love that. I love the, the empowering of the patients. That is so true. That is what we need to do. So let's actually do that today by educating them on some topics. Last time was all about the gut and the microbiome, which I just loved. So if you listeners are wanting to hear about the gut and the microbiome from a gastronologist, go listen to it. It's amazing. But today, um, one of the topics I want to talk to you about is histamine intolerance. And histamine gets thrown out there with food allergies, seasonal allergies. There's controversy of it's good, it's not good, you need it, you don't need it. I mean, all these different things you hear out there. So let's just start from the very basics. What okay. is histamine and what is histamine intolerance? All right, so histamine is a, uh, a molecule that you could create, or like more specifically, microbes 
can create from an amino acid called histidine. So histidine exists in all foods. And when microbes basically uh, are helping that food to mature, they will transform the histidine into histamine. Now histamine, we've all heard of this because we hear about antihistamines. That's allergy season. And histamine exists within our body. And it would be easy to vilify this and say, oh, it's so bad for us. Yet, like here I am feeling as healthy as I've ever been in my 40s. And I can assure you, I have histamine in my blood right now. It's a normal part of human physiology. We have histamine receptors for a reason. And when the body is in balance, there's nothing to fear of histamine. The problem is when we fall out of balance and there is an excess of histamine. And that brings us to histamine intolerance. Histamine intolerance is when things are out of balance. And it generally will involve a combination of too much histamine in the, in the diet. We'll talk more about that. And um, an inadequate level of the enzymes to break down the histamine. And importantly, damage to the gut. When you have a damaged gut, which the word that we would use is dysbiosis, and we covered this extensively in our first episode, people have a breakdown of the gut barrier and increased intestinal permeability, which one could call leaky gut. It's the same expression. And when you have leaky gut, you're basically creating a, a highway to allow histamine to enter into the bloodstream. Interesting. So the point of histamine intolerance is that there are, all, first of all, all foods contain histamine, but some foods contain more histamine. And if you have a healthy gut, barring some sort of very strong genetic predisposition, you should be able to tolerate normal amounts of histamine in your diet. But it's the person who has a damaged gut that's left in a position of vulnerability. Okay, so tell me then, what are the purpose of these histamines? Um, well, so histamine in, you know, for example, like in our bloodstream and, and as it exists, um, is involved in uh, normal bodily reactions. So like you find it in your blood in your blood vessels, it helps to control um, like the opening and closing of your blood vessels you find in your digestive system it actually can affect the release of stomach acid. So for example, you know, there are these medicines like uh, Pepsid or Tagamet that you can find at your local drugstore. And they block histamine to reduce acid reflux. So they basically like stop stomach acid production. So our body, and there are histamine receptors on immune cells. You know, basically histamine is involved in many different parts of just the way that our body normally functions. But it's those histamine receptors that also can be hyperstimulated and create problems for us. Okay. So how does someone know that they have histamine intolerance? Is it just purely the leaky gut or are there other symptoms as well? Okay. So histamine intolerance is a, it's a challenging thing for your doctor. And I'm going to explain why, but here's what I want everyone to know. The solution is actually super simple and I'm going to take you there. Okay. So, so don't freak out. It's going to be okay. I'm going to show you exactly how to go about this. Okay. The problem is we don't have a blood test. Oh, that's interesting. We don't have, yeah. There's no blood test. There's no poop test. There's no CAT scan. And this creates a challenge for your doctor. The way to know whether a person has histamine intolerance is for them to eat a low histamine diet. Now, the problem with that is how do you distribute a low histamine diet when your doctor barely acknowledges the diet even matters at all? 
Right. What doctor has ever, I know there's some out there, but we're talking about like, you know, the rare example, what doctor is handing recipes right. to their patient, right? So the, the way though, that you would know whether or not you have a histamine intolerance is whether or not you can attribute specific symptoms to histamine in your diet and that those symptoms actually improve when you go on a low histamine diet. So what are the symptoms? Here's where it becomes like, let's make this super simple for everyone. The question to the listener uh, is, do you have at least two of the symptoms that I'm about to mention? That's all you need to know. Just it's a yes or no. Do you have at least two of these symptoms? Okay. Doesn't matter which ones. Number one, gas and bloating. That's the most common. You could have other digestive symptoms, reflux, nausea, um, abdominal discomfort, cramping, uh, diarrhea, constipation. Outside of the gut, it could be headaches, migraines, runny nose after a meal, sinus issues, congestion, cough, sore throat. Heart-wise, you could have palpitations. You could have high blood pressure. You could have low blood pressure. You could have lightheadedness, rapid heart rate, skin. Uh, you could have a rash, eczema, hives, flushing, and then there's some miscellaneous symptoms. Women could have very painful menstrual cycles. You could have fatigue, trouble sleeping. Okay, this is a big list. That is a lot of things. That sounds like almost every American. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is a <laughs> lot of people. And having two of these symptoms does not prove you have histamine intolerance. What it says is histamine intolerance is possible. Okay. If you don't have a complete explanation for your symptoms yet, we should answer this question. Do you have histamine intolerance? And the way that we do that is by going onto a low histamine diet, ideally for two weeks. So sort of like elimination diet where you go on low histamine foods and then reintroduce the higher histamine foods when you're done after the two weeks or not necessarily? So, well, first we're going to start off with the diagnostic phase. So we first need to answer the question, do you even have this condition? Because if you do, we just like majorly empowered your understanding of yourself. Right. And we have turned over a stone that your doctor wasn't going to turn over for you, again, for the reasons that I mentioned before. So we have to start with that question. And the two-week low histamine diet allows you to answer this question. Because if you have this list of symptoms and you eat a low histamine diet for two weeks, and you notice that your symptoms are either completely gone or substantially improved. Okay, that makes sense. Then you know you yeah. have histamine intolerance. Then you know you have it. And now, okay, now that we know we have it, like we're not gonna waste our time on trying to fix a problem unless we first know that we actually have the problem. But once we know we have the problem, now let's turn our attention to, well, how do we fix this? How do we make it better? And how do we make it better? All right. So let's think about the components of histamine intolerance. So there's three components and let me paint a picture. All right. We're going to paint a picture of like a medieval battle. All right. So you're up in the tower in the Citadel and we're trying to protect you. And what we have protecting you is we have the walls of the castle and we have soldiers outside the castle walls who are out there doing their job. Okay. And the invaders, the barbarians, are the, the histamines. Okay. So um, now in this analogy, just to be totally clear, the, these barbarians, the invaders, that's the histamines. The soldiers outside the walls, that's the enzymes that break down histamines. So they basically are neutralizers. 
and then the castle wall, that's your gut barrier. Okay. Okay. So if a person has a damaged gut, the castle wall is in shambles. It's not protecting you. Right. We need to rebuild the castle wall. Mm. If the histamine is able to get into the castle wall, that means that they got beyond the neutralizing army that you have outside of the castle. Well, that's the enzyme that protects you. Can we boost that? The answer is yes, we can. In fact, it's quite simple and it's natural and it's exciting. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But the third thing is that like this invading army, even though they're invading you, guess what? Like you can actually take control of the invading army too. Like you're controlling all the chess pieces here. That's good to know. We can control it. We can control it. So like, because you can, you can turn the dial on the specific foods that you introduce. You can turn the dial on how much histamine is in your diet. So there's no, this is not a maximum or minimum thing. These are shades of gray and you get to choose the shade of gray that you are applying to your body in every moment. So let's talk real quick about the castle wall. Okay. Right. So what I'm saying here is like, you have a broken gut barrier. This is what happens in people who have a damaged gut dysbiosis. It's one of the hallmarks of dysbiosis. We want to restore the castle wall. Well, we can apply the techniques that I've been teaching, including that I taught on the last time that I was here on the podcast to rebuild the castle wall. And one of the important parts is fiber, dietary fiber. What if you had a low histamine recipe that was also high in fiber? Perfect. Perfect. Best case scenario. I bet those recipes are in your new book. This is one of the things that I'm super excited about. And I feel like, cause you know, Carolyn, even though I'm a two time New York times bestselling author, I don't view myself when I look in the mirror, I don't see an author. I see a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm just a doctor who has the opportunity to write books and those books are a chance for healing. So I put a histamine protocol into my book to be the doctor who actually hands you the recipes. That is amazing. And congrats on being a New York top seller. That is amazing. I loved your first book, The Fiber Field. So I am going to have to look at this new cookbook and check it out. But let's talk about this cookbook just a little bit. And I know my listeners are probably like, just tell us what those low histamine foods are. So yeah. can we first talk about what those low histamine foods are? And then I'm assuming you have lots of recipes in your book with those low histamine foods, correct? Right. So the, the, the complicated part is that, you know, how do you pick a recipe and make it low histamine? It can be very challenging because there's a number of foods. So first of all, we mentioned earlier that microbes produce histamine. What that means is fermented foods are our sort of top high histamine foods. Okay. I'm always recommending them. I have an entire chapter in both of my books on fermented foods. Right. right. So that gets confusing to people because fermented foods are supposed to be so amazing for the gut and for the bacteria. They are. And, but the problem is that if you have a histamine intolerance, you may struggle to consume these foods. And I, and I want to be here to help you identify that so that we can course correct. Okay. So if um, we think we have histamine issues, we're going to get rid of first fermented foods. At least for the time being. And right. in the future, there's a very strong possibility. I've had people who have histamine intolerance that they're, they're back consuming normal fermented foods in the future. So, but like fermented foods is a broad category because that includes vinegar and alcohol and chocolate. Um, so there's a number of foods that like you may not even think are fermented. They are. We also have to talk about fish and shellfish. So those are very high histamine animal products. Also in the animal product space, fermented dairy. So cheese and kefir and stuff like that, yogurt. In the plant space, 
there's these classic four plants and they break my heart a little bit because I love several of them, but they are spinach, tomatoes, eggplants, and here's the part, the heartbreaker, avocados. Oh, wow. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, spinach, tomatoes, uh, and avocado are almost a daily meal at my house. Exactly. And so now this doesn't mean that, like, for example, if you have histamine intolerance, that you're going to eliminate these things from your diet in perpetuity. That's not the way that I operate. My, my job is to help you to heal and address the root of the problem so that you can bring these foods back into your life. So those are the foods that are high in histamine. In the Fiber Fields cookbook, you need recipes. Okay. We created 26. Low histamine so ones. Breakfast, low histamine ones. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. And you know what I'm proud of with the book is that you could be eating delicious meals. And if I didn't tell you that they were low histamine, you would never know. And I would pull a gotcha. I would be like, gotcha. That was a little histamine. I didn't even tell you. Haha. <laughs> so that's part of what I'm excited about is that this doesn't mean need to be a diet of deprivation where you feel like you're eating cardboard. It actually can be very invigorating and you could feel great and love it. And you simultaneously could be healing because all of the recipes, all 26 are low histamine, high fiber. So if someone is doing a low histamine diet for these two weeks to figure out if that's an issue of theirs, they're avoiding the foods that you just said, but then are there certain foods that are very low histamine that they should be focusing on or not necessarily? Yeah. So, and that's, that's part of what you'll find actually in the book is that we, we make clear like here are low histamine substitutions. So drop this and replace it with this. And the recipes are already pre-prepared low histamine. So you don't have to turn your brain on at all other than you just have to cook the recipe. Oh, that's great. Um, but Exactly. So, you know, that's part of the educational process. But the book, you know, what's interesting about the book is it's called the Fiber Fields Cookbook. And I've received some pushback, <laughs> loving, loving pushback <laughs> from people who say this is not a cookbook. And they're kind of right. It is 125 recipes. It is full color photography. It's beautiful. But it's also 11 chapters. And so like in this histamine chapter, I'm not just giving you 26 histamine recipes. I'm actually like breaking this entire thing down with tables and graphs and, and breaking it down so that you can apply this to your life and get the healing that you're looking for. That's incredible. And one thing that I'd like to go back to real quick, if I could, is just because I want to make sure it doesn't get left behind is we, we mentioned this sort of castle analogy. And I mentioned that you can control all three parts. You can, you can build, rebuild the castle wall. You can control the invading army, the histamines. But what about this enzyme? So the enzyme is called DAO, diamine oxidase. And we have varying levels of DAO. And those levels, by the way, will vary throughout the day. So it's not so simple as like checking a DAO level to know because your DA level, you know, an hour later could be totally different. But here's something really cool. We're not the only uh, creatures that have DAO. Plants do. Oh, that's interesting. Specifically, sprouts. And they've studied this. And if you sprout peas, they actually produce DAO. And you could munch on some peas with your meal and help to improve your histamine intolerance. Oh, that's incredible. I talk about sprouting food quite often, but not for that reason. So now I'm going to add that into my list of reasons why people should sprout. 
there's so many reasons why people should sprout and we could take a tangent onto this if you want to but the short one of the one of the beautiful and exciting things is that many times sprouts have medicinal properties and this is one of them is that they can actually produce this dao all legumes by the way all legumes will produce some dao it's that the peas are producing more and one last uh, interesting fact i just find this fascinating nature is so interesting the peas if you sprout them in the dark like wrap the wrap the bottles in aluminum foil okay if you sprout them in the dark it actually dramatically enhances the production of the dao oh interesting and it's one of these things where nature like you actually are creating a, a like physiologic challenge for the sprouts and they rise to the challenge and they produce even more DAO as a result of this. It's so interesting how nature works. That is so cool. So actually I tell people a lot of times to put their, when they're sprouting, to put it in a dark cupboard, but for other reasons, not for this enzyme production. So I'm learning today as well. That is awesome. So legumes are really easy to sprout. You can also sprout grains. Do they have the same effect or not necessarily? Grains don't produce the DAO. When we're talking specifically about the DAO, it's the legumes that are going to produce the DAO for us. But obviously there are, there are many benefits and great reasons to sprout grains, other vegetables. We could go down the line. Okay. So let's go back to your castle analogy. So we are controlling the barbarians by the food that we eat, the low histamines, right? We are... Let's actually talk about building up that wall again as the second part of your analogy. We talked about it just a little bit. You talked about adding more fiber. Is there another thing that helps build up that wall? Well, beyond adding in the fiber, sometimes what we would do is we might do a fiber supplement. When it comes to probiotics, when it comes to probiotics and histamine intolerance, you have to be a little bit careful. Many of the popular probiotics, like the most popular probiotics out there, I would not recommend for histamine intolerance. Okay. Part of the reason why is because the microbes in some cases actually produce histamine. So we want to avoid that. But there is evidence for Saccharomyces boulardii. Saccharomyces boulardii actually has been uh, suggested to be an optimal probiotic for people that have histamine intolerance. So that's the one that I would go. And that's called Floristore in the United States. I have no affiliation with them, but it is an option for people. Okay, so if people feel like they have leaky gut or their castle wall is broken down, fiber is the number one thing to increase to help that wall. In the long in the long term, dietary fiber is the number one thing. And the reason why, just to kind of revisit something that we touched on in the first episode, but I think it's it's valuable for people to just hear it real quick here. So dietary fiber, the key is it doesn't just sweep through and come out. Dietary fiber is food for the gut microbes. We call it prebiotic. And when they consume this fiber, because they do consume it, it disappears, it stops being fiber. They actually grow stronger. And then they release uh, what are called short chain fatty acids, specifically butyrate. Like people, many people have heard about butyrate. Well, this, all of the evidence for butyrate is what I'm describing right now, which is that you consume fiber, it meets your microbes in the colon, and the microbes produce the butyrate for us. And butyrate, if you look, like how do you fix leaky gut? The answer is butyrate. Butyrate helps to grow the healthy bacteria. It actually suppresses the unhealthy bacteria. And in terms of the gut barrier, the proteins that we care about are called tight junctions. Tight junctions are basically what rebuilds the castle wall. And they're what are broken. The tight junctions are broken when the castle wall is down. 
So we need to rebuild those tight junctions. Well, butyrate actually does that. This is the molecule that has the most evidence for actually reversing leaky gut. So if this is the direction that we want to go and recognizing that, you know, I would expect that your listeners probably consume a more healthful diet than the average American, but the average American is wildly deficient in fiber. I do know that. So it's crazy. A, yeah. It's just such a robust opportunity. If you're not consuming this nutrient, if you introduce this nutrient into your diet, it could be transformative. I mean, this is, I'm convinced this is what it was for me. I completely agree with you. Fiber is so important for building up that castle wall. Again, I love that analogy. So we reviewed number one, number two, number three was the soldiers and the soldiers is the DAO, correct? And getting that yeah, from yeah. the sprouts. And you're getting that from the pea sprouts. So there are DA, there are DAO supplements, but they are very expensive. Um, they're derived from basically what they do is they'll grind up the the kidneys of a pig and then um, uh, lyophilize it, basically meaning that they dry it out. So you, you don't need to do that. Like make some sprouts. It's really inexpensive. It's healthy. It's good for you. Just it, that to me is the way to go. Okay. I am so glad you explained all of that with the castle analogy. I think that is great. Let me ask you one other thing about histamine. So we hear about histamine a lot with seasonal allergies. So if someone has bad seasonal allergies, do they have all these histamine issues that we just discussed? Or is that something so completely different? Well, it, it, it involves histamine. So this is actually a really great point, And I appreciate you bringing this up because you know, you're asking about seasonal allergies and let me throw another condition into the mix, which is mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS. In all of these conditions, seasonal allergies, uh, histamine intolerance, mast cell activation syndrome, they all involve histamine, but they are different manifestations of a histamine issue. What I mean by that is they're not the same condition. These are different conditions. So in, in seasonal allergies, you get exposed to pollen your immune system gets activated. This has nothing to do with your diet. Your immune system gets activated and that immune system, the uh, basophils and the mast cells, they will release histamine in response to the pollen. And then you get a runny nose. In mast cell activation syndrome, it's not your diet that's activating the histamine. You have these mast cells, these immune cells in your body that are basically like having these moments where they just pour, pour histamine into the body. So it's not a dietary thing. You don't eat and then experience something. It is instead just spontaneous, boom, and it and it comes like a tidal wave. So when you're thinking about these three to separate them, one in, important component is the dietary relationship, the fact that you eat and then you get the symptoms. When it's seasonal allergies, it typically is only going to be affecting you here, right? And that may include headaches, but the headaches we have to acknowledge are due to congestion. Okay. So, but it's not going to affect you in your digestive system, for example. You're not going to have bloating. And when it's mast cell activation syndrome, again, it's more like a tidal wave of activation that occurs spontaneously unrelated to food, as opposed to with histamine intolerance, it's not a tidal wave. It's more like you're having these symptoms. There is a connection with the food. And, you know, if you reduce the food, you improve the symptoms. That's really interesting because. You hear on social media quite often, people will say like, if you're dealing with seasonal allergies, focus on a low histamine diet. So really they aren't related. Well, could you discover an improvement in your histamine symptoms by going on a low histamine diet when you have seasonal allergies? You might, because what you're doing is you're reducing your body's exposure to histamine outside of your intrinsic immune system. 
So you might notice an improvement. It doesn't mean that if this is a necessarily uh, that the that the seasonal allergies are driven by histamine in your diet. It doesn't mean that that's the driving factor. Okay. So you know it is a bit complicated and nuanced to kind of separate these things. But again, I think what I come back to is the seasonal allergies. There's a seasonal component to it. It is an exposure. It is the activation of your immune system. And it's affecting your head, but it's not affecting below your neck. Okay. That is good to know. Okay. I'm going to move on to another topic because this is another topic that you hear a lot about, and it's the FODMAP diet. So I know there's a lot of even controversy about this. Like people say, eat this, don't eat this, you know? So let's just start at the basics with this as well. What is the FODMAP diet or what does FODMAP mean? So first of all, I feel like controversy occurs when people are trying to oversimplify nuanced topics, right? Like, I think that's kind of when, when people don't want to actually have a conversation anymore, they just want to like um, make it so simple that it's, hey, I'm right. And this is what it is. And we're done. Right. Um, but anyway, so, okay. FODMAPs. FODMAP is an acronym. So it stands for, and I'm just going to pour this out there, try not to fall asleep on me, fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Well, you keep hearing the word saccharide in there. Saccharide refers to sugars. This could be simple sugars like fructose. It could be chains of sugars, like two sugars uh, put together. That's lactose that you find in dairy products. Or it could be longer chains of sugars, like the fructans that you find in garlic, onions, and whole grains or like the galactans that you'll find in legumes. So these are the FODMAPs. If, if we're going to think about what does this encompass, really what it encompasses is it encompasses a lot of fruits, it encompasses the garlic and onions, the whole grains, the legumes, and then dairy products and artificial sweeteners. Those are essentially the FODMAPs. Okay, so what is the FODMAP diet? Is it excluding these items? Is it lowering certain things? What is it exactly? I think it's actually a very misunderstood thing on the internet. And we have to go back to the origins of this concept, which come out of uh, Australia. There's a place, Monash University. They developed the low FODMAP diet. And the low FODMAP diet was never meant to be an entry into reducing and eliminating and restricting foods. Instead, quite similar to what we were talking about with histamine intolerance, you start by first temporarily eliminating foods temporarily restricting foods for diagnostic reasons. Again, the test, like there's no blood test, there's no poop test, there's no CAT scan. The way that you approach this is to go on a low FODMAP diet temporarily. And if your symptoms radically improve, you have an answer. So who wants to go on a FODMAP diet? Who, what are their symptoms? So the, going back to the term FODMAP, the first letter is F and it stands for fermentable. Fermentable, meaning that your gut bacteria will actually transform the food and they will release gas in the process of doing that. So people who consume FODMAPs, particularly if you have a damaged gut, like a person who has a normal healthy gut, I really do not expect them to struggle with FODMAPs at all. But if you have a damaged gut, when you consume these foods, you may discover that you have a lot of gas bloating but also other digestive symptoms. It's really a focus on digestive symptoms in this case. You know, histamine, we're talking about the whole body. With FODMAPs, we get to zero in on just how you feel in terms of like your abdomen. So gas bloating, discomfort, cramping, diarrhea, constipation. You know, one thing I should add real quick, I, I just mentioned that uh, normal healthy people won't have any symptoms or issues with this. I guess the one caveat I should say, there's a very large 
prevalence of lactose intolerance that exists across the globe. So if we look at everyone, there's 8 billion people and we expect that 70% of them or like five and a half billion people on this globe right now are lactose intolerant. Wow, that's a lot. So, and they like, you know, what does that mean? What that means is that when they consume a normal amount of these foods, like for example, a bowl of ice cream, they may be manifesting these symptoms that they don't want. Okay, so let's talk about this FODMAP diet for those that like have never researched it or anything at all. Are there high FODMAP foods and low FODMAP foods? I'm assuming just like the histamine foods. Yes, there are high FODMAP foods and low histamine foods. They are actually less of a moving or challenging target than histamines in the sense that it's been very well defined. So, because histamines are produced, produced by microbes. And so, like I mentioned earlier, fish and shellfish are a problem for histamines. Well, that actually, if you literally caught the fish and you cooked it that day, you would have no issue. It's the fact that the fish is harvested and then it's like two weeks in a refrigerator. And during those two weeks in the refrigerator, before you actually go to your store and purchase it, the microbes have produced histamine. So with FODMAPs, it's actually a lot more straightforward than that. Basically, we're looking at like, what is the concentration of these fermentable parts? And you know, one thing I should say, Carolyn, I think is really important. And it's a point that I want everyone to take away from this podcast is that FODMAPs are not meant to be vilified. In fact, FODMAPs are for the most part prebiotic, meaning that they are food for our gut microbiome. So they are actually incredibly helpful. But the issue is that many times the foods that are prebiotic, they're also the foods that we actually rely on our gut microbes the most to help us to process and digest. And if you have a damaged gut, it may be struggling to keep up with the work that you're asking it to do. And that's the issue that we run into is that there can be a disconnect between what you are consuming in your diet and how much you're asking your gut to do and what your gut is actually capable of doing. And when that disconnect exists, then you experience symptoms and going on a low FODMAP diet is actually recalibrating that. Okay. So I think you just answered something maybe because on social media, you'll hear people say like, oh, eat high FODMAP foods. They're so good for you. And other people will say, no, eat low FODMAP foods. Those are good for you. So is it that low FODMAP is what you should be eating when you're trying to heal your gut and see if you have FODMAP issues? And if you don't, then you can eat high FODMAP foods because they are so good for the gut? Yeah. So with, with FODMAP intolerance, you know, let's go back to, we're talking about digestive symptoms here, right? So it's a lot more straightforward than the histamine intolerance that's whole body. So your digestive symptoms, here's the question. Are they caused by FODMAPs? And if so, which ones? That's the level of empowerment that we want to get to where we understand, yes, it is a FODMAP issue. And by the way, it's not all FODMAPs. It's, you know, garlic or it's whole grains or it's legumes or maybe a couple. But the point is, that's what we want to get to. So the way that we approach that, if you have these digestive symptoms, is you would go low FODMAP, you would do that temporarily, and then you would start to reintroduce these foods and you're bringing them back on board. And as you bring them back on board, you're paying attention to your body, you're in tune. And your body is telling you, hey, hey, just wanted to tell you real quick, 
you're having an issue with this one right here. And I'm pretty sure you've noticed that gas and bloating and that discomfort that you're having today. Yeah, that's because of this one FODMAP that you have a problem with. Okay, cool. That's not actually a scary thing. That's knowledge. Knowledge is power. And because we have that information, here's the exciting part. Like, these are not permanent. These are not locked in. You can be healed. Your gut can be made stronger. You can add function that don't you don't currently have. And the first step in that process of healing is first the identification of which foods you need to heal from. And then we can move into the healing phase. Okay, so when you were explaining the FODMAP diet, FODMAP foods, you touched upon artificial sweeteners. So are they a high or low FODMAP food? Artificial sweeteners fall into a category called polyols, which are sugar alcohols. And now some polyols or sugar alcohols naturally exist in, in whole foods that are frankly good for us. But people need to be aware that our, most artificial sweeteners are going to be high FODMAP and they're going to be disruptive to your gut. And let me just say this. This is a, a little golden nugget to share with the audience. Hopefully it helps. If a person comes into my clinic and they're having gas and bloating or diarrhea and they're trying to figure out what's going on, the first question that I will ask them is, do you consume dairy and do you use artificial sweeteners? Hmm. And if the answer is yes, I ask them to do a trial off of those things for at least two weeks and report back. And it is a shocking number of people who come back and say, you fixed my problem. And that was all I needed to do. And it's even sometimes surprising. Sometimes it's like, I had one uh, patient, it was a gentleman, he did a food diary to try to figure out what food was causing his problem. Actually, it wasn't food. It was chewing gum. The chewing gum had artificial sweeteners. Interesting. (laughs) Okay, I'm so glad you explained all of that because I get asked daily on social media in my DMs, like I have so much gas and bloating and what should I do? But most of them are drinking all these low-fat, low-calorie drinks or eating this food that have the artificial sweeteners in it. So I'm going to start telling people, well, cut out the artificial sweeteners. Just because it has zero calories doesn't mean that it doesn't have effects on your body. If, if it has zero calories, it is coming into contact with your gut microbiome and it can have negative effects on the gut microbiome. That's important for people to understand. Thank you for explaining that. Okay. So are there common low FODMAP foods that people should focus on when trying to figure this out? Yeah, so um, that's actually part of what, again, I'm bringing forward in the Fiber Fields cookbook that I'm excited about is like, you know, I guess, let me just zoom out for a moment and comment on like the genesis of this book, because I think it's relevant since now we're talking about the second protocol that exists in this book. This is the second protocol. The genesis of this book is that my first book, Fiber Fields, that you mentioned earlier that you enjoyed, it sold 200,000 copies. And that's a lot of attention. And people were reaching out to me and they were saying, Dr. B, I love the book. I want to, I want to be fiber fueled, but I am struggling. I don't feel well. So I decided to use my second book as an opportunity to create a resource for these people for healing. And the, the FODMAP protocol includes 30 recipes. And I also tell you exactly how to go step-by-step in terms of reintroductions. Oh, that's, so that's amazing. Just, that's incredible just, for people to have. You know, that is ultimately what is necessary because again, it comes back to if there's no blood test, there's no poop test, there's no CAT scan. If we don't have any other way to do it other than food and your doctor is never going to hand you the recipes that you need, 
okay, cool. Let me give you the, let me empower you with the knowledge and let me hand you those recipes. And then let's, let's make it happen. Let's go. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, this book is incredible. People need to grab this book to learn how to cook with the low FODMAP foods and um, to learn to cook with low histamine foods. So that's incredible. You've provided this for people. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like it's almost the choose your own adventure. You remember when we were kids and we had those yeah. choose your own adventure books, right? So yep. I loved those. And um, I kind of feel like it's a choose your own adventure for gut health. Let me say this. I think this is important for people to understand about me. Um, I'm a very uh, context-driven person and I'm a medical doctor. And my context is this, that I am bothered by the, the severe fiber deficiency that exists in the United States, that the average person in the US is consuming 10% of their calories from plants and that 95% are wildly fiber deficient. And it's so important for our health. It's important to our digestive health. My concern is not whether or not you are 80, 90, or 100% plant-based. I'm really not worried about that. And there are many versions of a healthful diet. And my goal is to create a bridge towards healthful diets that is as inclusive as possible. The only people that I'm going to exclude from being a part of this party are the ones who are holier than now. They're not allowed to come. I don't want you at my party. <laughs> but everyone else, like, so I guess what I'm saying is like, this is not an all or nothing thing. This is a, hey, where are you today? And can I get you taking one step in this direction and make it a step that allows you to enjoy food? Um, you love what you're eating and it's actually enriching your health in the process of doing it. Like that's actually where I want people to be. And that's, that's what ultimately this book has become because even if you have a healthy gut, so we've been talking about food intolerances and people who have a damaged gut, even if you have a healthy gut, modern science says that your gut is essential to your digestion, your immune system, your metabolism, your hormones, your mood, your brain health, your energy levels, your genetic expression. This is a precious commodity. And if you neglect it, you're running a huge risk. You wake up one day, you have a medical issue that could have been prevented. Don't neglect this. Nurture this. Take care of it. It really should be happening starting today for every single one of us, including myself. And this book is intended to be the application of this idea. How do we do that? So even if you have a super healthy gut, you may not need to do these protocols, but all 125 recipes were designed with gut health in mind. I absolutely love everything you just said, because I love that you're not preaching that you've got to be 100% vegan. It is just about adding more plants to your diet, which we all need. It's adding that more fiber. It's bridging that gap, like you said. So I love everything that you just said. I have another question, though, for you. Is the histamine issues and the FODMAP issues occurring because of a damaged gut? Is that why they're occurring in people? I believe so. And I think that some of these things, you're probably going to ask me why. I was. I was going to say, well, because besides lack of fiber, what else is causing this? Right. So clearly lack of fiber is part of it, right? But here's the... here. Nutrition is about substitutions. What are you replacing with what? And here we are in the United States and 60% of the calories that we consume on average in the US come from ultra processed foods. That's crazy. They're not just devoid of fiber and they include 10,000 substances, not all synthetic, many of them are though, 10,000 substances that were approved and entered into our food supply without any microbiome data. So how do we know, this is not fear mongering, this is keeping it real, we don't have data, 
But when we start to study some of them, we do discover problems. That's not to say that they're all in, implicitly bad because they're, you know, perhaps synthetic. That's not fair to say that all 10,000 are implicitly bad. And clearly they don't kill us in the short term, <laughs> but that's actually a problem in a way, because if they're killing us in the long term, like, like slowly eroding our health, that's actually very, very difficult for our research techniques to pick up after the fact when they're already in our food supply. Right. So, you know, part of it is this, but let's step away from nutrition for a moment, because I think sometimes we, you know, really, nutrition is almost like religion and politics. Like people get very emotionally That's attached. true. That is true. Yeah. So let's step away from that for a moment. And let's just kind of look at the landscape of our lives in 2022 and think about um, how, you know, in terms of movement, like we uh, have televisions that didn't exist a hundred years ago. We have video games that didn't exist 40 years ago. Um, we have computers that like largely didn't exist until, you know, in the nineties for the most part, uh, people weren't doing as much on the computers back in the eighties. I remember that, you know, so like we're not moving, we're stressed out. I do think social media and the news cycle, which is like intentionally triggering is part of the problem. And I think that we are all exposed to different versions of traumas throughout our life. These can be big traumas, but they can also just be micro traumas, or they could be like, you, you don't like your job or you're in a bad relationship. There's actually a physiologic basis that we could dig into if we ever wanted to about how that negatively affects your gut. This is actually one of the most powerful things. I have an entire chapter in the book. There's no recipes in it. It's just about holistic healing. And it's taking on this issue because I feel like this is such an important issue for people to understand. You could eat everything right. You could sleep. You could exercise. You could meditate. You could still not have a healthy gut. And it's because of these issues in your life that are upsetting your non-conscious mind. So there's that. There is the lack of sleep. There's the fact that, you know, we have these blue light devices like a phone and a tablet and a computer and a television. And we're up at 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. And we're shining these bright lights into the back of our brain. And that's actually disrupting our circadian rhythm and suppressing our melatonin release. And that negatively affects our gut because then you can sleep seven or eight hours and it's not even high quality sleep. So I feel like there's all of these factors that are converging. It's not so simple as just fiber. There's more to it. I do think that fiber is a big part of this story though, like a really, really big part. But like, I think we also need to bring attention to all these different factors and understand that we, if we want to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, we can't fall into the trap of, for example, allowing the food system to do it for us. They're not going to. Right or allowing the, the modern constructs of life within the US to just kind of play out and we, we are just floating along and the currents are pulling us. Like, no, no, let's swim to where, so that we can get to where we want to be. And so that's where it's at, I think. I love that. And so much of what you just mentioned, you also talk more in detail about in our first episode about like sleep and how it affects the gut and the blue light and how it affects the gut. So if you guys haven't listened to that one, go check that one out because it's really fascinating. And I remember you sort of got after me for my going to bed so late with my teenage kids. So I've uh, focused on that. So anyways, I really appreciate you being here. I am excited for people to get their hands on your cookbook because like you said, it's a book that will empower them with the knowledge of what the different ingredients are, the histamines, the FODMAPs, things like that, but it will give them the recipes, which is just so amazing. 
So tell my listeners where they can find this cookbook. Well, you can find the cookbook uh, wherever books are sold. So it's, you know, wherever you live, there is a internet service that will send it to you. The one thing that I will say is this, that most likely there is a mom and pop bookshop that exists within your community that is owned by your neighbor. And they probably have been struggling because of the pandemic, like bookshops weren't really open. So um, I personally feel like you know, you could click a button on the internet and you can make the guy who's worth $50 billion worth even more. <laughs> or you could walk into this bookshop and slide a $20 bill across the table to this person and they send you, they slide a copy of the Fiber Fields cookbook to you and you go home and you feel really good because you got a great book and you also supported your neighbor who could use the support right now. I love that. I am always talking about supporting your local community, local businesses. So thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners about this book that we haven't mentioned? I think the last thing that I would just say is that um, I actually lead into the book by saying this. It's like literally the first page that you will read aside from the um, dedication to my family. And I want everyone to understand, make this your own. I am not here asking you to eat the diet that I eat. I eat a diet that I love. It works well for me. I'm thriving. I feel great. I want the same for you, which means that you eat a diet that you love and you feel great and you are thriving. And that's not going to be the same thing that I eat. So make it your own. Feel free to adapt it. The, the recipes are intentionally flexible. So that way you can like kind of add or subtract whatever it is that you feel best about. And like if you want to add, you know, uh, fish, shellfish, whatever it may be, if you want to add something to these plates, just do it. Just do it because at the end of the day, again, this is building that bridge. And if you are taking a step towards more plants and supporting your gut microbiome, then we are on that same bridge together. And I celebrate that and we're having a party. I love that so much. I'm going to use that line. Eat a diet you love. We all deserve that. Food is supposed to be one of the greatest pleasures in life, Carolyn. I mean, it really truly is. This is one of the greatest pleasures. And I, and I regret and it makes me sad that for people who suffer with digestive health problems, that has not been the case for them. And that's part of what I'm trying to remedy with this book. Right. And nature has so many amazing, delicious foods. So why not enjoy it all? Absolutely. Abundance. It's what it's all about. Abundance and variety. Thank you again so much for being here. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you? Um, so you can find me at theplantfedgut.com, theplantfedgut.com. By the way, there you will find a bunch of bonus uh, resources for people who have the book. You can download them even if you don't have the book. I don't really care. Um, you'll find my uh, references for the book. So this is a cookbook with more than 400 references, uh, not to scare people away. but and um, And then you'll find my email list. People really seem to love that. Like when there's a breaking news gut health study, it's really hard for me to talk about on social media because it's so limited in terms of the characters. So I'll, I'll typically send an email to my list. You'll find me on social media as the gut health MD, both Facebook and um, Instagram. I don't have any announcements on, on TikTok at the moment, but there may be something coming. Stay tuned. Love it. You guys go follow him on the gut health MD for sure on Instagram. He is such a great follow and I've learned a lot from following you and I appreciate all the free information that you give to everybody. You are an incredible doctor to do that for people. So thank you. I feel the same way about you, Carolyn. I, I love the work that you're doing. I think it's amazing. I think that you're doing a service for, for people who are engaging within your community. And the bottom line is that, you know, you and I, we, we really truly are doing the same thing, which is that the mission is to try to help people and improve their lives. 
Um, and that's ultimately why we just put ourselves out there and we do our best with it. I so agree. And thank you for the nice compliments. But I do just want people to live their best life possible. We have one chance here and let's make the most of it. Um, totally. I always close my episodes by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. And I know you answered this once before, but what would you say the best ingredient to life is? Oh man, I don't remember what I said last time. So forgive me if, I, if, if I'm repeating and you know that I'm repeating, just tell me and I'll, I'll go to round two. But I think it's human connection. You didn't say that last time. So that's a good one. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I think it's human connection. Um, because, you know, actually you and I have spent this whole time and then I, this is my fault. I'm so prone to this. We talk about food. We talk about nutrition. We're talking about gut health. And then you overlook perhaps the thing that has the most data in terms of longevity, which is that when you feel loved, when you feel supported, you become the best version of yourself, your friends, your, the ones who support you and love you, they are lifting you up. And um, this is something that I've certainly witnessed in my own life. And so, but on the flip side, when we feel separated, when we feel excluded and isolated, this is unfortunately when we see some of the problems that have existed within our country, you know, you see these scary shootings and things that are taking place. And these are kids that are very sad and they're very isolated and it just, it's upsetting. But you know, nonetheless, I think that the, the message is this, like, make sure that you invest. This, this has to be an intentional choice to invest into like the time required to talk to people and to look them eye, eye to eye at a table and to give them a hug and to tell them that you love them. And because when you build them up, then uh, they become your greatest supporter and they turn around, they want to build you up too. And it's a beautiful thing. I love that. And I have, I just want to say one thing about human connection for some people. It's really easy. I've got half my kids that just love to make human connections. They're very social, very outgoing. And I've got the other half that is, it's a really hard struggle for them. They're shy. They're introverts. They don't want to necessarily make that human, not want, I should say it's hard for them to make that human connection. So like you said, it may not be easy for people. You may have to go out of your comfort zone to say hi, to send that text, to make that call, to invite someone. So thank you for um, saying all of that. I really appreciate that. It's my pleasure. And thank you again for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to um, explain all of this to the listeners. And again, listeners, go follow him on Instagram. You won't regret it. Thank you, Dr. B. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.